Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I, I, I guess I was on. It just didn't sound like it. And I wanted to hear from you. We're so glad that all of you are here with us today. Thank you for joining us on this uh, beautiful yet very cold Lord's Day. We hope that your experience here uh, will be a blessing to you. This is our second uh, sermon in uh, our new One Word series, uh, which will last us throughout the year. And I saw many of you coming in this morning with your One Word book, and feel free to bring that on uh, Sundays. But if you don't bring that, you will not be lost. And um, this morning, we're going to kick off a new week uh, with a new word. And I'll reveal what that is in short order. But let me say a few more remarks about uh, one word. If you don't have any idea what I'm talking about and you'd like a word, uh, I mean a book, then those are, <laughs> I'm about to give you a word. Uh, if you'd like a book, then those are available in our church office. And you can stop by there and grab one. We still have a few left. And let me also say that... Um, a copy, a digital copy of the devotional book has been made available to us. And so if you'd like to have a copy of the book on your phone or your tablet or your computer, uh, shoot me an email. My email address is in the bulletin. It's jhorton16 at hotmail.com. And it's 16 because I was 16 when I opened that account and I just have never taken the time to change it. So it's jhorton16 at hotmail.com. Also, there is an additional resource, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to burden you with anything else. I'm glad that all of, most of you have taken your book and you're reading through it, but there is a study guide that will take you even deeper uh, into the words that we're looking at from a biblical perspective, and we also have a digital copy of that. And so if you would like that, if you'd like to, study uh, uh, with, a, with some greater depth in our words, uh, then email me, jhorton16 at hotmail.com, and I'll send you a copy uh, of that. Now, our reading plan is in the bulletin every week, so be sure to grab our, our bulletin. It's just a one-pager on your way out, and you will see where you ought to be reading uh, each week. And as I said, this kicks off a new week. And if you haven't figured it out, our word is creation. And I appreciate the beautiful songs that we sang that mentioned creation. Uh, and I want to start by talking about our house. And I had, a little, I had a little drawing of a house. This is not our house, but it is a little stick figure house. Lauren and I have lived in our house in Winchester for eight years. We moved in when it was just the two of us and our dog. And we've since uh, knocked the dog down the totem pole, uh, totem pole, not totem pole, three times, and he's way at the bottom. We've added three precious children to our family since we've been in our home. We love our home. It's close to uh, the church building here. It's very convenient. And uh, it's not an extravagant home. It's one story and uh, brick and siding exterior, a few bedrooms and bathrooms inside. But in all the, all the years that we have lived there, I have not for even a second thought to myself, maybe this home 
was not built at some point in history. I mean, maybe it just sort of came into being on its own. Are you following me so far? I have always had the assumption, as I have lived within the walls of my home for eight plus years, that at some point it was built. And what's more, I have not for a moment thought that our home did not have a builder. These are just assumptions that I have operated with in the eight years that I've lived here, that it was built and that there was a builder. I mean, imagine if I came up to you after services this morning and said, you know, I'm starting to think that maybe my house wasn't built and that there was no builder. I think that maybe there was a swift and significant event, like maybe an explosion, that brought all the materials together to form my house in one solitary moment. Now, you would look at me and say, you're a nut job, and you're probably not fit to be working in the capacity that you are here. You are crazy. And yet, what I described is similar to how many people believe our vast and intricate universe came into existence. There are two competing views about how all things came to be, and I recognize that I'm about to lay out an overly simplistic uh, synopsis of these views. And some of you who are more scientifically minded, you may say to me, you know, you needed a little more nuance here, more subtlety here. I am not all that scientifically minded. You know, I'm a preacher, and I, I believe that these, what I'm about to, to share with you, these are generally true, although I might not be including all the pertinent details that somebody more scientifically minded would. But two general competing views about how all things came to be. Number one, a huge explosion brought our universe into existence about 13 billion years ago. And life, including human life, came about much later. A product of, and it was a product of random chance processes that have been going on for eons and eons. That's view number one. View number two is this. That an all-powerful, all-knowing, divine being is at the source of all things. That this divine being made all things. And it, it is this divine being that truly separates view one from view two. In view one, there is no divine being. It assumes that there's nothing, there's no greater force behind what we see around us in our world and in the universe. Number two says there's a divine being behind it all. It's like the ancient writer observes, to go back to our house analogy, every house is built. This is actually Hebrews chapter 3, verse 4. Every house is built. We assume that, that at some point in history, each house was built and had a builder. Every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. That's view number two. And the Bible, and this is no secret to you, this is not going to be news to you, the Bible presents the second view. And it fills in some more details. Like, for instance, this divine being that we have talked about who created all things, it's not some distant deity. The Bible reveals to us that this being who created all things is the one true God of Israel. 
God of the people that we read about in the Old Testament, who is also our God, the same God who sent Jesus to the earth to die for our sins. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go back, all the way back to the Old Testament, to Genesis 1. The Hebrew verb to create, that's used in Genesis chapter 1, and in other places in the Old Testament, is the word bara. And this is a word that is used in the Old Testament to only speak of God. God is the only subject of this verb anytime it appears in the Old Testament. Only God baras. Only God creates. Not some foreign deity. Not some false god that some other nation worshipped. Certainly no human baraz. Only God. And there were other words that are used in Scripture to talk about forming or fashioning or shaping something that already existed. Not this word, not bara. Bara means it emphasizes the initiation of an object, the beginning, the origin of an object. It assumes creation out of nothing. And when we talk about this word, this idea, only God, the one true and living God of Israel, Baraz. Now, it matters deeply which view you embrace. You shouldn't just choose one haphazardly. It, it, there are far-reaching implications for which view you embrace, whether God made all things or whether all things came about um, by chance, all, all of a sudden, without a divine being working behind the scenes. Far-reaching implications, especially in how you view human life. Let me tell you what I mean. In the first view, humans, well, we're a cosmic accident. Uh, we are the result of chance. And I don't have to tell you that this yields a very low view of humanity. If we appeared just by accident, by random chance, uh, then we have no inherent dignity uh, or honor uh, or worth. And what's more, we have no responsibility. We have no moral mandate in, in how we ought to live if we just appeared here by accident, by a great big cosmic accident. That's the first view. But in the second view in which God is behind all creation, humans are God's crowning achievement. In the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 26, we see that humans were created on the sixth and final day of creation. We are the pinnacle of creation. We are the high point. We are what God saved until the end of the week as He was creating all things. We are special we are created, as the book of Genesis tells us, as caretakers. So we not only have dignity that is inherent to us by nature of our creation, we also have responsibility. We have a job to do. God says, I want you to have dominion over the earth. I want you to fill the earth and subdue it. This is Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 28. And what did God tell Adam and Eve when he placed them in the garden in Genesis chapter 2? 
Verse 15, I want you to work it and keep it. You've got a job to do. You've got a purpose. You've got a responsibility. You didn't just arrive on the scene by accident. I created you. You are the pinnacle of my creation, the crowning achievement of all the things that I made. You are special. Here's another observation. In the first view, humans are simply one among many types of creatures. We have life, and so do plants and giraffes and snails and uh, sea creatures and amoebas. We all possess life. We're all on the same playing field. That's view one. There's nothing special about your life in regard to animal life. Your rights are no greater than the rights of plants and animals and other living creatures. That's view number one. That's what view number one leads to or assumes. But in the second view, the the view that we read about in the Holy Scriptures, humans are not just one creature among many. Humans are exceptional. And why is that? Well, it's because we are the only creatures that are fashioned in the image of God. That's Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. The only creatures on the face of the earth that bear God's likeness. God made us to resemble Him, not any other animals or plants. Only us, only humans, have been created to bear the very image and likeness of God. Wow, what responsibility, what an honor, what a privilege. And this automatically uh, places within us dignity and, and honor and a sense of value and worth. And it places us above all the rest of the created world. We're special. We're exceptional. We're not like any other life form. We're different. God made us different. One more observation along this vein. In the first view, life is meaningless. It's purposeless. We just sort of popped out of nowhere. We, as we've already said, are the result of a cosmic accident. We could just as easily not have come into being. We could just as easily have not existed, and yet we're here. That doesn't give us any sort of meaningful reason to live. It doesn't place within us a a, a purpose or a mission. But in the second view, the one in which God created all things, life is full of God-ordained purpose. God had a reason for creating us, his human creation. God chose to create humans in order to invite them into a loving relationship with himself. God didn't have to create us. He chose to create us out of his abundance of love and power. He made us so that we could share a relationship with him forevermore. I'm always amazed when I read in Genesis chapter 3 that God had such a special relationship with the very first humans, Adam and Eve, that the Scriptures describe him walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That illustrates the kind of close, loving relationship that God intended to have with humanity for all eternity. Adam and Eve there in the garden, 
God close by, God so close to them relationally that Scripture describes him as walking through the garden. They could interact with God on a personal level. Can you imagine the communion that they shared with their maker, with their creator? That is the kind of relationship that God intended. That is the reason that we're here. That is the purpose of our lives, to live in relationship with God, to exist for him, to fulfill his work on this earth. Life is full of meaning. Life is full of purpose when you recognize that God is behind all life. Life is meaningless. Life is purposeless when we just randomly appear. When we might just as easily have not existed as exist. The bottom line here, after we have observed all this, is that embracing that Creation and all things came forth from the might and intelligence of God and that because of that, humans are God's crowning achievement and we're exceptional because we're made in the image of God and life is full of meaning. Observing all of that, taking all of that in should lead us to a place of worship. It should compel our hearts to bow down before God in adoration and praise. It should lead us to worship Him. You know, a lot of people admire the beauty of the earth, but that's where they stop. And in fact, some people take a dangerous step by worshiping uh, or ascribing praise in some way to the creation. Romans chapter 1, Paul warns against that, that people are turning away and worshiping the creation, and, uh, the creature or the creation instead of the Creator. When we observe the creation around us, it should lead us to worshiping the Creator. We should never stop there. Back to our Hebrews passage, Hebrews chapter 3. The verse before, the verse we looked at earlier, verse 3. The builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. The one who made all things has more honor than the all things that have been made. The world is a beautiful place, but we shouldn't appreciate the beauty in and of itself. The beauty came from a beautiful God who created all things. And so observing anything that has been made should lead us to bowing before the great creator. The psalmist in Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. They declare the glory of God simply by existing, by functioning in the way that they were intended. All living things declares the glory of God, and we are called to join in. We are called to join all things in praise of our great and mighty God. In December of 1968, the crew of the Apollo 8 spacecraft became the first humans to leave the Earth's orbit, to reach the moon's orbit, and then return safely to Earth. They were also the first to see Earth as a whole planet, and they were the first to witness what is called Earthrise from beneath or behind, rather, the lunar surface. During the mission, the crew recorded a special Christmas Eve broadcast. Maybe some of you remember this. Uh, at the time, the broadcast was the most watched TV program ever. And here's what the three astronauts said. And actually, this picture comes from this mission. The Apollo 8 mission, one of the astronauts snapped this photograph as he peered over the edge of the moon at the surface of Earth 
astronaut Bill Anders began on the Christmas Eve broadcast. We are now approaching lunar sunrise, and for all the people back on Earth, the crew of Apollo 8 has a message that we would like to send to you. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Astronaut Jim Lovell continued. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. And let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. Astronaut Frank Borman concluded the Christmas Eve broadcast. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place. And let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters called he the seas. And God saw that it was good. And from the crew of Apollo 8, we close with good night, good luck, and Merry Christmas. And God bless all of you. All of you on the good earth. All of us on the good earth. We don't need to see what they saw up in space to be inspired to worship God. All we need are a few reminders. Reminders like the fact that humans are the crowning achievement of God's creation. The fact that He made us, His human creation, to bear His image. The fact that He infuses our lives with meaning and purpose. These truths alone ought to provide enough fuel for us to worship our Creator God for 10,000 years and then forevermore. And let me tell you this morning that our Creator God is not done yet. As I said last week, God is hes in the business of creation. He's still in the business of creation. He wants to make people new creations. He wants to create us anew, to share a relationship with Him. We said from the beginning of time, God has desired to share a relationship with humans. We see that from Genesis 1, 2, and 3. But we haven't yet talked about sin. That's a word coming in the future. That is what broke down the chance, the opportunity that humans had to share a relationship with Him. But God has reestablished a possibility of that through Christ. God wants to create us anew through Jesus Christ. He wants to reestablish a a relationship with us through Jesus Christ, His Son. In your readings this week, and I hope your readings have been going well, and I hope that you will stay disciplined with them throughout the year, but you'll be reading this in one of your devotional thoughts. Let me share this quote with you. You are not a better you as a Christian. You are quite literally a new you. When you embrace Christ, you don't become 
you 2.0. You don't become you the upgrade. You quite literally become a new creation. And maybe this morning you're out there thinking, I need to be made new. It's a new year. It's a new day. I'm ready to put the oldness away. I don't just need to be made better. I don't just need to experience an upgrade. I need God to wipe the slate clean, to sweep out all the old, and to make me new through Jesus Christ. I need God to do some some creation work in my heart. We had two dear brothers who came forward for different reasons last Sunday, but uh, also for similar reasons, and that's that they wanted to recommit their lives to the will of God and Jesus Christ. And it was a beautiful thing to witness. And I admire their courage and their humility in coming before this great number of people to say, I need God in my life working. I need my life to be made right in His sight. Maybe that's where you are today. If you're not a baptized believer, listen, God wants you to be immersed in that water for the forgiveness of your sins. He wants to make you new through that act so that you can begin your journey with Him, your relationship with Him. That will last forevermore. If you are a a baptized believer, but your life has gotten off track and you need to recalibrate and recommit your life to, to the will of God, we invite you to come. Or if you need to see a couple of our elders back here after worship services, please take advantage of that. If there is a need at this hour, this is why we sing the song. Would you come and make it known while we stand and sing together?